You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 14. Well, hey there, welcome back to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and as always, I am honored and grateful that you are allowing me to spend a little bit of your day with you. This podcast episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, our free live virtual event that is specifically targeted to help PMO leaders around the world make a bigger impact with their PMO. Go check it out at PMOImpactSummit.com and get ready to learn a ton of ways you can make a big impact with your PMO. It's PMOImpactSummit.com and when the event is live, it is a free opportunity to get tons and tons of training to help you with your PMO. Today we are talking with a fellow thought leader in the PMO and project management space that you may have heard of already, Peter Taylor. He is a PMO expert who has built and led five global PMOs across several industries and has been a strategic advisor to many other organizations on change management and project strategy. He's also the author of the number one best-selling project management book, and I love the title of this, The Lazy Project Manager, along with many other books on project leadership, PMO development, project marketing, which I think is a really important part of the project process, and project challenges and executive sponsorship. So in the last five years, he's delivered over 340 lectures, I don't even know how that's possible, around the world in over 25 countries. So I'm pretty sure that he lives in hotel rooms, over 25 countries, and has been described as perhaps the most entertaining and inspiring speaker in the project management world today, which I think is fantastic. His mission is to teach as many people as possible that it is achievable to work smarter and not harder and still gain success in the battle of this work-life balance. And I think that is really important for us to take a minute to talk about here before we dive right in. So Peter, is there anything else you want to share about yourself or can I start asking you about this lazy project manager concept? No, I think that's, that's a great introduction. Thank you for that, Laura. And um, the one thing I will say is that the quote, which is a lovely quote, uh, did not come from my mother or any other member of my family. <laughs> um, it was from a very kind gentleman in Australia when I did some training and speaking out there. Um, but I love, I love traveling the world. I love getting the chance to speak to people at conferences or at business events. And you just learn so much through that engagement with people. So it's, uh, it's been, a, been a wonderful five years. That's fantastic. So before we dive into our topic today, which is going to be a lot more about business agility and the role of the PMO and kind of just start them thinking about a different way to help make an impact with the PMO. I want to talk about this lazy project manager concept and what that really means because it's super cool sounding, but it really is important to 
think about when you're thinking about where you're spending your time and energy. So can we talk about that really quick? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, um, it came about, two things happened. One, I, a gentleman I worked for, and I worked for him in uh, a number of companies, actually. Um, we were on a flight back from Italy, and one day he called me lazy. And, and I took it personally that he, you know, I thought he liked me. He keeps employing me. So why would he call me lazy? But he was doing it, it was a compliment from his point of view about the, the way I work, if you like, the, the effective way I, I work as far as he was concerned. At the same time, I was running a PMO at that time with just over 100 project managers. And I, and I could see some behavioral differences. Half the group, broadly speaking, were being reasonably successful. I mean, none of us were perfect. We could definitely improve, but reasonably successful. And on average, they were working a typical working week. Now, we know projects go up and down in, in demand of time, but on average, they're working a typical week. The other half were working, in my mind, crazy hours. You know, they were telling me they were working 50, 60, 70 hour weeks more. Um, and yet they were being no more successful. And so I did some sort of work or research, if you like, into the way that they were each managing their time, what they got involved in, the meetings, the decision-making process, et cetera. And I kind of uncovered this idea that some project managers just get dragged into so much detail. And I recognize that's what I was when I first started out as a project manager. Yeah. So from that, kind of evolved the lazy project manager concepts and of course you know insult your profession and get on um <laughs> you know it it's it's been a great tag a great brand people say so i'm delighted to be known as the lazy project manager yeah and i think there's i'm always talking to my students and my programs about finding ways to streamline and optimize and get rid of all the stuff all the extra all the things that are not necessary that end up taking up a lot of our time and focus so that we can focus on the most important things so i think that's great i love the topic and the concept and when i first heard of you a few years ago i was just eager to dive in and listen to your podcast and learn more about you because i thought it was just so cool that you would hit the nail on the head with it's about finding the fastest and easiest way to get something done. And so if that means being lazy, call me lazy too. Yeah, excellent. We, we, we need more lazy people out there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and it's so true because if I think about that in my personal life, the people that I know that are lazy or make the minimal effort, if they're still getting stuff done, then they're probably the secret geniuses of all of us, right? Yeah, yeah. The caveat is I talk about productive laziness. So it's, yes. you know, it, that's the key. It's being productively lazy than just normal lazy. No, not so good. Productively yeah, exactly. lazy, that's good. Right. We still have to be able to get stuff done, right? Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. Okay. So for all of you listening today, all of my impact drivers and PMO leaders out there, we are thrilled to be able to announce that Peter is going to be a part of the PMO Impact Summit that is coming very soon. So we're going to talk a little bit today about the mindset shifts and the way we need to be thinking about our role as PMO leaders in this world of business transformation and business agility and the new ways that we might want to be working through the PMO. So I'm not going to let him spill all the beans for his entire presentation that he's giving at the PMO Impact Summit, but I would encourage you to sign up now. It is free and will be running in September. So definitely go check out PMOImpactSummit.com so that you'll be able to see Peter's full presentation. But today we're going to talk about the beginnings of that conversation with the PMO. What's changed over the years, Peter, that you've been running PMOs and what this whole concept is of business agility. So if you wouldn't mind starting a little bit about talking around where, when you started building PMOs 13 years ago, it was 13 years ago, right? Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. So that was a long time ago. And I, I also have spent a long time in the PMO space, building my first PMO in 1999. So for us old timers in this space, <laughs> <laughs> what, you know, how is uh, the PMO space evolved and how has the role of the PMO evolved? And what have you seen personally in your experience running all these different PMOs in organizations around the world? Yeah, perfect. So I would say, I mean, if you'd asked me that, this question, you know, a year or so ago, I would have said the difference between when I started and what I was doing now was scale. Simple as that. Mm. My very first PMO was, it wasn't even called a PMO. It was a, it was a center of excellence, a community practice for project yeah. managers around the world. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of where I, where I started moving up uh, to help share my experiences, connect project managers, understand the way they were working to help evolve, you know, evolve methodology, um, capability, competence, all of that sort of thing. And that's, yeah. that's really was the heart of the PMO in those days. And really the, the, the advantage there was the con, you know, kind of the connectedness of what's going on. Um, you know, I worked then in, in, the, in the software industry as, as I do now. And at that point we had project managers all over the world and they were just disconnected and they were, all of them were, you know, finding ways to be successful on their own. And so connecting people together, that's the first start. Then it just got bigger. I mean, it got bigger and bigger. Yeah. The sheer scale, you know, I reached the point of you know, running the PMO with, uh, you know, a few hundred project managers, thousands of projects, um, you know, around the world, you know, in all of the, uh, all of the major zones. And, and that's what the PMO is about, is taking it to that level of that scale around the quality assurance. And again, you know, the kind of competence levels of the project managers, portfolio managers, program managers, everything. But I, I recognize it's kind of changed in the last couple of years. And it's, it's really changed because businesses have changed as well. And that's kind of why I talk these days about uh, business agile, you know, driving new ways of working through the PMO. Because, you know, the way I describe it is business, business transformation is just high priority in today's landscape. I mean, it is just huge. I mean, whether you're talking about digital transformation or business transformation or cultural transformation, it, the scale is enormous, but linked to that is the complexity and the speed of, of what is required and the agility of how you have to go about it. And so, you know, the big difference right now, I think, is in this, this kind of topic of business agility and, and what that actually means uh, to an organization and how that organization potentially, and I see quite a lot of it, is they struggle to execute against that business agility strategy. Um, uh, because some of the mechanisms they have in place um, that link down to their project managers, their, their change agents and the yeah. PMO just begin to creak because suddenly the whole thing has been, you know, it's like you, you accelerate it in your, in your car to a point beyond what the engine's capable of doing or the, or the body works capable of doing because, you know, everything has to be faster. And that, that really is the, the hot topic for me, I think, in the world of PMOs. Yeah, for sure. So for those that are listening right now that are saying, what the heck is he talking about with business <laughs> agility? Can you just take a step back for a second and talk about what that means to you? And then we can kind of dive into what that means for the PMO. Yeah, sure. And I, I, I'm going to go back to, um, it's a great Forbes article. Um, uh, it's an article by Steve Denning back mm -hmm. in February 2019. And, and in a speech at the Global Peter Drucker Forum in Vienna, uh, Julian Birkinshaw, uh, who is Professor of Strategy uh, at the London Business School, suggested that the world right now was entering what he called the age of Agile. So mm -hmm. what does this mean? Uh, yeah. and, and I think it's a nice way of putting it. He kind of says that organizations throughout history were three types. You know, in the early days, they were bureaucracies mm -hmm. and, and control 
was driven through privilege, privilege of, or by rules, by hierarchy, uh, by in- extrinsic result rewards. That's that was the model of history, and it ran for you know decades. That model, right. and then he, he says, well, then they moved to a more meritocracy approach, which is this is a, the world of knowledge of, of data, and this you know this this privilege came about through you know adjustment, logical argument, personal mastery of that data. You know, suddenly it wasn't about the the fixed hierarchies. It was about what did you know. You know, who do we know, et cetera. It was that, right. that reflected in the, in the business world. But what uh, Birkinshaw now says is we are actually in a, an, an era, he, he refers to as ad hocracy, which is not mm. easy to say. But yeah. this, is, this is where action, action is the privilege. Yeah. It's, the, it's movement yeah. around opportunity, movement around experimentation, movement around achievement. And, you know, you know we've, we've left the industrial age and we've moved through the information age and we, we're going beyond that into this new world uh, he, says, he talks about it emphasizing opportunities find solutions through rapid experimentation achieving agility through decisiveness and this really is where business agile enters the prime time and and you know we all know these companies and he says well if you look at the fastest growing companies on the planet you know apple amazon facebook google microsoft these are the ones that have adopted this this new approach of flexibility of agility and so business agile is just that recognition that right now there is a need to move faster. Um, there is a need to adapt and evolve in a way that they haven't done beforehand. And it's just a recognition that there is some sort of term that, that describes this, this business transformation. It's a business agility. And, and really, that's it. And, you know, the problem is, is, well, how that's great. But how does the rest of the business spin on axis and deal with this new world? Right, right, exactly. And I think it's important to clarify, we're not necessarily talking about agile implementation methodology here no, but the hundred thousand foot view of being nimble flexible adaptable and responding quickly to the environment around you right that's absolutely right it's it's just a way of creating value in a rapid way and and i love the term that that um uh, puts at the end of it he talks about the fact these emerging companies who get it right they yeah. are, and they are fine. And I love this because it fits in with my lazy project manager ideas. They are six. They are succeeding by fighting complexity with simplicity. Yeah. yeah. Now, in the past, if I go back to your original question, you know, what was my what my PMO about in the early days? My PMO was about very robust mer- um, methodologies, telling you everything you should need to do from A to Z, every step, every transition, every stage gate, all of that. Right. Whereas these days, you know, I I. I work with organizations and it's all about a framework to support flexible working with project managers that will be using a number of tough styles of, of project methodologies including you know the iteration including agile including lean etc uh, and you're right so business agile is is not about agile the approach to to projects if you like that kind of work uh, approach it's about the organization's agility and, and use the great word nimble it's about yeah. being nimble to be successful yeah, right. And, you know, and think about, so for all of you PMO leaders listening today, think about how many markets have been disrupted by new technology and new ways of thinking and operating. I mean, think about it. Just 10 years ago, you would never even think about getting in a car with a stranger to 
get from point A to point B unless they were with a taxi cab company. Well, now we do it all the time with Uber and Lyft. And, you know, think about when you would want to go on vacation, you would look at what hotels were in that area. And then you pick one of those hotels and that was your only option if you wanted to stay somewhere. And now look at Airbnb and VRBO and some of these other organizations that have taken over. The way we do almost everything we do nowadays is totally different than how it was 10 years ago. And if you aren't adapting to thrive is what I call it. If you don't shift the way that you do what you do, then you're going to be left behind. And that's happening so much faster these days, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I, and I can give you, I, I can't name names, of course, but I was in a company not so long ago and, yeah. and I was asking them about their, their internal decision-making process. And they, yeah. they were describing this, that really it was a bureaucracy. It was like, well, yeah. I have to talk to so-and-so, they go and talk to someone else. And I said, what do you do in your personal life, in your decision-making process? I said, you, you with the modern world, and you give some good examples, you know, Uber and the rest of them, but you through, you know, social media, social tools, the apps on your phone, all the rest of it, you are making decisions at, you know, light speed, uh, in your personal life, and here you come to work and everything slows down to an unbelievable, yeah. and it's like businesses have to get it. I mean, they, the ones that are going to be successful are the ones that get it and change. Yeah, absolutely. And so now bringing this to PMO leaders that are listening, I can almost hear their yeah buts. I have this thing I call this term I call the yeah but monster, which means, yeah, but I'm not responsible for that. Or yeah, but that doesn't affect our organization because of this, that and the other. And so what would you say to those that are listening today as PMO leaders primarily, or those that are trying to make a big impact with project management, what would you say to that yeah, but monster when it starts creeping in and helping them kind of distance themselves from this problem, this challenge that we need to be thinking about from a business agility perspective? Yeah. And I think I can answer that really. And, you know, what do you, what do you think you should be trying to achieve as a PMO? And we know know PMOs are challenged out there, you know, as many disappear as as appear and, um, you know, it's been a battle. And I think the ones that kind of get it right are the ones, you know, I talk about moving up the strategy tree. I mean, you know, a PMO, you know, you can be the, if you like, just the, you know, just the, the custodians of strategy, which is that you're given projects, you look after them, you do a great job around, you know, resource management, et cetera, and tracking the portfolio, the dashboards, all those good things. But really that's, you're just custodians. And then, you know, the next level of PMO is around, you're actually managing, which just means you're, you're, you're giving feedback to the business going, Hey, yeah, we can do this new, uh, new, new project or these new projects, but you know, the impact is we need more people or we're going to have to deprioritize another one. But, the most powerful PMOs are the ones that actually have a seat at the table of strategy. You know, right. They have an input. And the right. other thing I talk about, and I will touch upon this in, in my uh, session uh, for the, the, uh, the, uh, the PMO summit, um, it's the move from the cooperative world to the collaborative world. Yeah. And that's a big difference. Because, you know, you could, all, you could say we've always been cooperative in the world of, of PMOs and projects uh, and management of projects is because, you know, we, we have that mutual respect. We have a degree of transparency. We have shared goals. Right. We're kind of independent, but also dependent on each other. We have a kind of a loose network that exists during the project delivery, all those sort of things. But, and that, and that is no doubt that that brings about success. That brings about a significant uh, advantage in the workplace. But if you move across to the more collaborative world, you know, it's where there's mutual trust, there's vulnerability there, and there's the shared vision and this kind of shared value, then you, you just have this much better, tighter culture. And, you know, there, and I think the big thing there is trust and also empowerment that you can make things happen so much faster. 
you know, I can go back, you know, back to my first PMO when I used to go in sitting on the, the project review and team meetings. Then what you would get, you know, you'd have a people, you know, you'd have ten people sit in a room who would discuss a problem, decide what the options were, and, and take some action. Now I can, I've seen projects, I've been involved in projects where you can have a hundred people, virtually involved through, you know, business social tools where they can ha they can share their wisdom, their knowledge, their kind of self balancing uh, advice from a subject matter expert, and and you can come up with that in a so much faster time than you probably finished having a conversation at the early start of a meeting, um, and it's probably a better answer than the one you would have got from a, a team of ten. So. This is one of the big things here, and you know, I'll also, I'm also going to touch on the, you know the concepts of the hive mind and stuff like that. It's, it's um, you know I'm really looking forward to it. This thing, PMOs can just be they can really be somewhere and they can really bring some real value to a business. Right, and I think that's really important. There's a few things in there that I want to touch on and emphasize. So one, you talked about cooperative versus collaborative. And I think that there's a really important difference in there in kind of the proactive versus reactive. Yeah. Yes, and, that's right. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's what sticks with me when I hear that is that the PMO needs to be taking a more proactive leadership role in helping to facilitate this business transformation and drive this change, as opposed to just, <clears throat> well, what does the business need us to do? Okay, we'll do that, right? So it's kind of, that's how you earn that seat at the strategy table. That's how you have those right conversations. You're leading and driving that productive conversation as opposed to just waiting to be told where to contribute or where to have value. You're driving that. And yeah, is that how yeah. you see it? I do. I do. And I think, you know, I'm going to, you know, we, we, you talked about driving there. I used a car analogy earlier on. Um, yeah. Someone in one of my workshops kind of reflected and said, well, they, they saw it as uh, it's a big like you've got a car and, you know, the car's in good condition, obviously, when you first get it. And periodically you go and take it into the garage. Yeah. Um, and, and they check it over and they service it and everything, you know, that's, that's, that's important. But right. if that's all you do, if, but you compare that to what the onboard uh, computers are capable of these days in your car and the, you know, the technology, whether it's communicating back to a central data, <laughs> database, it's tracking the performance of the car and alerting you. And it's been very proactive. And that's the thing, you know, reactive is, well, I'm going to go and check it out on, a, on once a year and hopefully everything's okay. Or there is right. this kind of proactive, like it's constant, it's all in the moment and it's predicting what might go, go wrong. And really it comes down to, you know, what's the aspiration you have as a PMO leader um, and, and that's one half of the equation. The, the other half of the equation is what does, what does your business expect of you as a PMO right. leader as well? Right, exactly. And then, you know, the other thing you were talking about shifts to where I'm hoping we can go next, which is the role of the PMO and having a seat at the table. And, you know, some of our colleagues would say, well, they don't have to, and I, and I agree, they, a PMO doesn't have to be strategic in nature or only managing strategic projects in order to have a seat at the table to help drive the decision-making process around strategy, right? I mean, they're two different things. You can be managing very tactical, tactical or technical functional projects and still be helping the organization achieve their strategic goals, right? Yeah, and I think an example of that is, you know, one of the one of the big problems I see out there is connectivity from the highest level through to the the change managers. Mm -hmm. And I think this is, you know, if you've got a PMO that has at least that, you know, you know, an organization respects the PMO, mm -hmm. understands what the PMO is trying to do, then the voice is, is not a voice sitting at the board table talking about what they're going to do in the next five years or anything like that. It's a right. voice that says, hang on, I see a problem here. 
And you know, one of the other areas I'm, I'm definitely going to be talking about is this connection between executives, C-level executives, connections with project sponsors, connecting that down to project managers. And so many times I see that connection broken, if you know, yes. one or, or even two places inside an organization. And, you know, and that's when real problems occur. And, and if you haven't got that connectedness, then you've got no chance of being business agile, you know, sort of bringing it back to the, the, the primary theme of the, of the talk I'll be going to be giving. Because, you know, you have to have that solid connection between executives, sponsors and project managers, change agents, to ensure that you can then move forward and become business agile. Because otherwise, if it's broken um, in, in the non-business agile world, agile world it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail completely as you try to you know, keep up with the modern world. Right, right, exactly. And so, you know, what you're touching on is another place where I hear that yeah, but monster come out <laughs> with uh, my students sometimes. And that is, but the C-suite doesn't get it. My um, CEO or my COO or the guys at the, and gals at the top of the food chain aren't really understanding how we can provide that value, how we can provide that role. They only see us as administrative overhead or, you know, they run when they see us coming because we've always got our templates and our checklists, et cetera. So what do you say to them about how they, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the truth. And I always tell, you know, I have a couple courses I do around rescuing PMO and, you know, mistakes that PMO leaders are making and some of those other things. And I'm always like, listen, if they're running when they see you coming, as opposed to saying, please help me, then you're doing it wrong. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so- yeah. Yeah. And I got, I got, a, I got some uh, sort of PMO, you know, test questions. One of them is, you know, yeah. you know, phone up your CEO and see how long it takes him to recognize who the hell you are. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, if it, if it takes more than a minute, then you're in trouble and you are not connected at the right level. I, yeah. Maybe, maybe not your CEO, but can you go up two levels of your organization and they know right. what on earth you are and what you're trying to do. Right. Um, I mean, it's a big challenge. And it's one of the things I love doing. I, I wrote a book a while ago um, and it's called How to Get Fired at the Sea Level. And oh, really? That's it's, great. It's, it's about mismanaging change, which is the biggest yeah. risk of all. And it is actually, there was a survey that I think, you know, number one reason that the C, CEOs got fired over a period of time on this survey was mismanaging change. So, you know, I love to go into organizations. So, you know, feel free to bring me into scare, scare executives. And uh, I'm sure, Laura, you can go and do that over, over in the States. So, you know, it's, 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 you, sometimes you need an external voice to help you on this one. But the point about this is if, if your PMO is seen in that light, if you are seen as the, uh, the assurance checklist uh, project police, then, then you have a problem. You have a you have an image problem and you have to address that urgently because you know typically in that situation uh, based on my experiences the clock starts ticking and, and that pmo will disappear or you'll disappear and the pmo will be reborn in another format right and i think i want to push it a step further and say it's not just an image problem but that image is based on a lack of a value you know it's a value problem right it's a value proposition problem it's a return on investment problem they don't see that you're actually doing anything to help make their lives better therefore why do they need you right yeah quite quite and you know, the way you can make it better is some of this connectivity this you know you know, what, what you're looking don't just look down at the projects you're managing look up the organization and try and spot those those you know functional gaps in by, by functional gaps i mean you know gaps in that connectedness between the executive sponsors and, and your uh, your your community of project managers and and you know raise your voice and um, make suggestions and, and suggest improvements yeah i mean just keep moving up the food chain right so and you know i don't want to give away everything that you're going to be talking about at the pmo impact summit because oh my gosh you guys definitely want to check out his presentation he's going to be covering all the things that we need to be thinking about and 
how to put some of this in place in your organization. So, but for now, Peter, can you just help them with kind of the big picture around, you know, we know why this is important, but what are the first things that they should be thinking about or doing, or how can they prepare to have that right conversation if they aren't even being recognized in the C-suite or if people are not seeing their value? What's step one, before they go have conversations with the C-suite or their management chain, what should they be thinking about to kind of think about this business transformation role or their value or how to articulate their value as a PMO? Yeah. Okay. Let, let me, let me work back. So, you know, what, one of the key, the three key areas I'm going to be talking about um, just for sort of positioning here is that, you know, it's all about ensuring the visions that are aligned from the C-suite to those directly working on the project, project itself, right. leveraging right. large scale collaboration uh, and defining the kind of leadership qualities uh, the best practices necessary to run a successful next-gen PMO. They're the things I'm going to be talking about. But if I draw that all the way back, I, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my work around PMOs is based on uh, what I call the five Ps. Uh, this is a, you know, a balanced PMO concept I put together based on my first PMO experience when I kind of reflected how it went. And and PMOs are like this. And this is you know this is a way of looking at your PMO. You know, there is people, process, performance, promotion, and project information systems. They're the five Ps. And the first balancing act is, you know, getting the, the right balance between uh, process uh, and people. Because if you just got pure processing, you are checklisting, you are methodology masters and, uh, you know, the project police. But if you don't have that, then you're also a very weak PMO. So, it's, you know, you have to have a component to that. Equally, you know, focusing on people, just people, you know, making sure you, you know, you're giving all your project managers every bit of help they can have, all the training, all the skills, all the competency assessments, all the rest of it. That can make you... A very nice nice PMO as far as they're concerned but it can be a little bit weak so first thing get the balance between people and process right. then the kind of performance is about you know the, the performance of the PMO it's about you know tracking you know, the performance of the PMO performance of the portfolio performance of the individual project managers and the projects yeah you know, that building it all up into one nice big simple picture for the business um, uh, the project information systems is the technology you're using to do all of that but pull all that together with the other P, which is a promote, which is a promotion. You have to talk about your PMO. You know, yes. There's no good just keeping quiet about it and saying, well, I'm doing a really good job. I know I'm doing, my manager knows I'm doing a good job, but you've got to promote it. You've got to promote the hell out of it out in, that, in the business world. You yeah. know, have every opportunity to talk about it. You know, and I've run PMOs and have my PMO team members ready at a point to, to talk about it, run brown bag sessions, to get involved in other meetings, to, you know, to deliver training for project managers, for non-project you know, management, for non-project managers, right. uh, websites, blogs, podcasts anything you know just keep pushing it out um and you know and and success stories lots and lots of success success stories to get the your the, the word out there that you are the pmo your team are doing some fantastic work that is of true value to the business oh my gosh i couldn't agree more so it's funny when we were talking about the um concept of the car and you know the, the, the driving from the perspective of using that car analogy, I kept thinking about my course, it's called the impact engine PMO. So it's the engine that generates the impact for the organization, right? So that's how I think of the PMO, what the PMO should be is an impact engine. Absolutely. And, and a part of that, I have a whole lesson in, I think it's module five of my course around marketing. And the fact that marketing is not a dirty word and marketing is not something that someone else in a, some other department does, but as a PMO, you need to understand the basics of marketing, which is all, all marketing is, is helping you connect 
the service and the value you provide with the people that need what you do. And so as a PMO, it is so important. All those examples were great. And I love those about ways that you can communicate the value of the PMO to those that uh, can leverage or benefit from engaging with those services. But it's very different than when, when people will talk about well, I'm trying to sell the PMO. And I don't think it's selling. I think it's marketing because you need to play back what you're hearing that they need as opposed to trying to shove it down their throats, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you're you're selling it, then then you have a bigger problem, you know, if you're having to sell it, I think. Right. Um, But I think, you know, we seem to be on a car analogy uh, trail here. (laughs) I'm going to pick two. Let's go with it. I'm going to pick two more to kind of, you know, the kind of trying to, you know, bring this got some some point of, uh, um, you know, sort of, you know, sort of kind of conclusion if you like. So first thing is like, okay, let's go Tesla. You know, yeah. um, right now I don't think you can Tesla the PMO. I, it needs a leader. It needs a great leader and a PMO. Yes. It, it, you cannot have a PMO that self drives. Um, it's about your team. So, but I don't think that works. And you know, and one of the books I wrote was leading successful PMOs. It was a whole bit of research about what makes, what why a PMO leader is so different from everybody yeah. else. Um, but the, the one I do use in my, in my presentations and training is I got this wonderful picture of an American truck, uh, uh-huh. which has just got a ridiculous number of wheels. And the way <laughs> I say is, look, this, this truck is, um, you know, it, what we say is we, it's jackknifed. You know, it's, it's off the road and the cab spun around and tried to overtake the, uh, you know, the, the load behind, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what I say is, what if, imagine that is your business. Just imagine that is your business. The cab, the front end of the truck, that's, that's your executives and they're deciding on strategy. How fast you go, which direction you go. Yeah, mm-hmm. whether you overtake stuff, whether you don't overtake stuff. The load is your business as usual, which we know is, you know, what does what your business do? It, there is business as usual. Then on top of that, I, I talk about two layers. There are, there, then there are projects as unusual and that's the world of the PMO. These are big tactical or strategic projects that require a project manager. And in between, there's this whole bunch of what I term as projects as usual. This, this is change that's going on that's actually managed by you know, the, the, the company uh, mid-level management or, or other senior people. Mm-hmm. And yet this is a big load. And the truck's going down the highway and it's loads there, et cetera. It's pretty heavy. And then, you know, just imagine if those guys in the cab, they, they decide to, uh, you know what, we need some more load. We want to take some more stuff. Put some more projects on. Yeah, let's do some more business as usual. Let's load it, load it, load it, load it. And then they go, well, okay, this is great. And let's, let's speed up a little and let's, let's turn it left. Oh, no, let's go right. That's where strategy is. And you can imagine now we're in this business agile world. We're trying to move quickly with the traffic flow, et cetera. Bang. If, if that load, um, you know, just is, it gets unstable, it tries to overtake. And that's when you get this, these disastrous accidents. The PMO, when it's effective, can be that connection point between the cab and the load, the back end of the truck. Wow. It can control. It, it can give advice. And if, it, if it's all it's doing, you know, I talked to earlier on, it's, it's the lowest level PMO and all it does is it takes instructions from the cab. Then do, we want more, we want more, we want more. It's not doing its job. If it's going, hang on guys, you need to slow down or we need to stop and refuel or, you know, actually we need to stop changing tax so quickly, you know, so much, you know, moving left or right. If it does have no voice at that point, then it's not contributing. But if it does contribute, it's controlling that whole truck and the whole you know, journey that it's on and it can deliver. It can definitely deliver. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I love that we're doing all these truck and car analogies, but you know, sometimes it's helpful to kind of make it real for people is to be able to visualize. I mean, we're all living in this, speaking of transformation and agility, we're living in this world of constant change and being able to make it real. I love that you talked about kind of 
cars the way they used to be and cars today. Um, you know, the, the maintenance and management of a car has been very reactive in the past, but now cars pretty much do everything for you. Some even drive for you, right? Yeah. And they're doing all this preventative management of the car and the process and all that. And that's the same thing that the PMO should be doing is trying to, you know, as I say, be like the strategy navigator of the organization and help the organization's strategy navigate through all of the change process to become the impact they're trying to make. So I think that's fantastic. So, yeah, I mean, again, the PMO needs, I mean, we've talked about not being a project police, but you yeah. know, they got, they got to be the right sort of firefighter. And again, if you've got a PMO that's constantly out there putting out fires, yeah. and you're in real trouble. And you know what? Those guys don't do it. Those girls and guys don't do that. They spend most of their time trying to prevent problems in the first place. And that's absolutely where the PMO should be playing. So be the right sort of firefighter. Right. That's exactly. That's great. So yeah, and there's, <laughs> you know, we've had all these great analogies and it seems like <laughs> we use a lot of the same ones because I was just teaching a uh, project management and what I um, refer to as attention management um, training to, um, to one of my clients. And we talked a lot about the role of project management and being that fire preventer as opposed to firefighter, because if you're spending all of your time fighting fires, then you're not making sure they don't happen in the first place. So it's kind of being able to see the forest for the trees and be able to say, okay, well, we need to be preventing this stuff from happening and keep everything on the right track and keep those engines running. All of our analogies coming together here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, to help make the biggest impact because that's, you know, to me is what it's all about is how can we change the world for the better and make that huge impact. So as a fellow PMO leader, Peter, is there anything that you'd like to leave this audience with? I know we definitely want them to um, register for the PMO Impact Summit. So everybody, please go to PMO Impact Summit com the uh, live event which is taking place in September is free for you to attend the sessions live so please make sure to register for that ASAP um, we're gonna have a lot of fun things going on in advance of the event so definitely get on that list now you know and of course Peter you've got tons of books and resources we'll talk about in a minute but is there anything else you want to as a PMO leader kind of share with your fellow PMO leaders as a way to think about where and how to get started with this whole shift in mindset from, you know, kind of our typical PMO model to this more business agile business transformation focus. Yeah, I this, you can find it out there. You know, I've written about the, the balanced PMO. Um, you can go to my website, uh, lazyprojectmanager.com as well. Um, and I think that's a great starting point because I think it's a very simplistic roadmap of what the yeah. PMO should be doing. So, you know, just take a few minutes to to, to build that, that balanced PMO model it's very simple and and just kind of did you know, i like a mini health check on it you know just yeah. do the uh, you know the rag status on each of the major activities in there and you know begin to reflect on it and i think the other thing i'd encourage people to do is you know start reading up about business agile and uh, there's some great stuff out there you know, i quoted the forbes thing but there's there's some good stuff out there from gartner and the like as well um because you know it's it you know they all make sense they all make sense and i think it's something you know the better you are aware on anything then the better you can recognize it in your own organization Exactly, exactly. So thank you so much, Peter. And of course, they're going to go check out your resources. And I hope to see you all at the PMO Impact Summit. Make sure you register for that. And Peter, if you want to anything else you want to share with the audience or um, where they can find you online so they can connect? Um, yeah, I, I'm on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn. So please you know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'll be happy to connect. Um, I'm on Twitter as at the lazy PM. And as I said, the website www.thelazyprojectmanager.com. 
Awesome. And we all need to figure out how to be more productive and lazy at the same time, right? Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Peter, for your time today. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you on our program today. And thank you. My pleasure. All right. Bye-bye. And don't forget, this episode is sponsored by the PMO Impact Summit, your free live virtual event covering all things PMO. There is no other event quite like this, so focused on helping you make a big impact with your PMO. Make sure to go to pmoimpactsummit.com and register today. I can't wait to see you there.